Welcome to Biota.org Interviews. I'm Tom Barblay, and today I have the uh, pleasure of talking to Gerald de Jung, um, whose Fluidium project has, uh, has been a topic at previous Biota conferences uh, and has recently um, moved the, uh, the project forward into Darwin at home. Gerald, for people uh, who aren't familiar with your work, could you please give uh, uh, some discussion of your, to your background and your general interest in A-Life? Sure, yeah. I, um, actually, I started, uh, I took mathematics at the University of Waterloo in Canada, and uh, I was always fascinated with, uh, with spatial geometry. And uh, I encountered Buckminster Fuller and uh, uh, found that I uh, had a really interesting group of friends on the Internet who were into Buckminster Fuller. So I've been doing that for, for years, so just playing with uh, geometry uh, in the computer, spatial geometry. And it's actually only a couple of years ago that um, I got interested in uh, experimenting with evolution and uh, genetic algorithms. But uh, before then, it was all about, uh, about the geometry. And uh, I went to the Biota conferences because my geometry sort of looked like natural bodies. Without uh, doing much work, they seemed to act in natural ways. So it was inter an interesting way to build a body for a virtual creature. Very interesting. For people who don't have background on the Biota conferences, can you talk a, a bit about them with regards to your own work and collaboration? And certainly an interesting topic that, that Bruce Damer and I have been discussing is the, the power of the Internet, but also the power of conferences. Can you talk a little bit about that as well? Well, I can definitely uh, testify to having been uh, completely inspired by, the, by attending the Biota conferences. The, the first one I attended was, I believe, 1997... Uh, in um, in Cambridge, England, where uh, my hero Richard Dawkins was uh, was one of the keynotes, as well as uh, um, uh, Douglas Adams, and uh, it was a small group. It was like 50 people, and uh, it was uh, really exciting to see all the different points of view represented in in such a small group with uh, you know such sharp people. So that was uh, really good. And then the second one was in San San Jose. And uh, well, we had a really interesting time there. I had a fairly stressful uh, presentation because uh, I had difficulty hooking up the computer just before I started, but it went well. And then we had a panel with uh, Tom Ray, uh, myself, and a couple of other people, and we discussed all sorts of interesting issues like uh, evolving physics, you know, like uh, evolving the rules of the physics and stuff like that, and, and all sorts of other issues we covered. Certainly. Now, you touched on briefly an internet community relating to Buckminster Fuller, and certainly the, the aim of the biotic community is to create a, a similar kind of conversation and collaboration. In contrast to the conferences, can you talk about uh, the idea of an internet community and whether it will ever replace conferences in your mind? Well, there, there's, of course, something about meeting people face to face it's not something that you really should uh, you know worry about replacing because there's just uh, nothing you, you can't replace uh, for example uh, sitting in the bar in cambridge england and listening to endless fascinating anecdotes from bruce damer about uh, his uh, anthropology efforts in virtual worlds we were just, you know, we, we hung on his every word and listened to uh, to the stories. It was fascinating. And everyone had uh, really interesting stories. And, you know, they come out after and before and not necessarily during the the talks. So uh, it, it's really important to have the, you know, extra time where you, where you meet with people. But, of course, you know, a lot can happen online. A lot does happen online with, uh, 
you know, online means. And uh, collaboration in building software is uh, apparently quite effective online. Probably more effective than getting those people together for a few days. Certainly, certainly. Now, d to move more closely onto your own work, can you give some background into, into Fluidium? Yeah, um, it all started with, of course, that uh, um, experimentation with, uh, with the structures that Buckminster Fuller talked about. Uh, specifically, uh, tensegrity was really fascinating. This was a, a specific sort of structure where, um, made out of pushing and pulling elements, but then the pushing elements uh, never touch each other. If you can imagine that, it might take a little uh, time and see a few examples before you can understand that. But it's uh, it's a fascinating structure because you've got uh, sort of solid elements that are floating in a network of tension. So I was fascinated by these things. I, I uh, built the software and uh, sort of came up with the the simplest way to do everything I could do. Um, and uh, the basis of it is what I call elastic interval geometry, which is uh, nothing more than, you know, spatial creatures, uh, spatial uh, bodies based on spring relationships between points in space. That's all it is. So the simplicity of it allows me to do a lot of things every second. You know, it's very effective to, uh, to uh, you know, the code runs quickly. Even though there's a lot of calculations happening, there's not much else happening except the calculation. So uh, it uh, it works quite nicely to uh, to create a, a in fluidium a, a sort of believable physics, but it's not anywhere near realistic, and I don't have to follow any of the the, the rules of uh, you know the physical world, except to make it believable. Certainly, certainly. I think what's particularly interesting in fluidium, which I think may move into our discussion at Darwin at home, is the fact that certain um, do you call them fluidoids? Do you call them fluidium creatures? What do you? I actually call them fabrics. Right. The, the external users create their own and contribute them as well. Yeah, that's been uh, happening since I had the, the the current version up, which has been uh, quite a number of months now. There have been uh, a number of people dropping by, not a great number, but uh, I don't know exactly how many, and a number of them have been able to do some stuff uh, with, um, with the program. They can store creatures, uh, they can build creatures, uh, put them under their names, and, uh, and press on the Evolve button and watch their fitnesses increase and experiment. Um, of course, the difficulty is not a lot of people get over the, the, um, the threshold. Uh, when, you, when you start up a program like this and, and you're confronted with the... Uh, the requirement, more or less, that you have to learn how to build structures in 3D in space. You know, uh, not, a not a lot of people have experience with that, and uh, it can be pretty tricky. So I suspect a lot of people come and visit and then disappear quickly. Certainly, certainly. Are you familiar with uh, Will Wright's spores at all? Uh, not, not really well, no. Right. He uh, he is basically encountering exactly the same problem and, and created a builder... Uh, component is that something that you see in the in the future kind of ease of use builder component for fluidium? Yeah, we'll see uh, a couple of things here. First of all, uh, building is something building with uh, you know with the software building geometry things is something I've been doing long before uh, it was a life. You know, so the, the all the controls and all the the different functions that you can do, I've thought endlessly about those things, and I can do it really well personally. But I'm just the only one on the planet who can do it really well. So um, 
So uh, it was, you know, a lot of a lot of the work went into figuring out how to make that possible for a person to uh, to do. And uh, what I'm doing with Darwin at home is I'm uh, I'm tr I think I've found a way to make it much, much, much more accessible to uh, a much larger audience, because um, the building process, which was sort of the threshold to entry, that or the barrier to entry that kept people away from you know getting a little deeper. Um, I've, uh, what I've done is I've, I've created um, uh, structural mutations. And uh, so it's possible to have a kind of aesthetic selection, something like uh, bimorphs or something that was described in, uh, in Richard Dawkins, one of Richard Dawkins' books, where you know, people are choosing to make, uh, to make the decisions of, of who survives and who doesn't. And in, in terms of structure, it becomes, you know, uh, pick the coolest looking one process rather than oh my god what's this control do when I click on here is it gonna break you know it's a completely different experience and uh, my little eight-year-old daughter uh, seems to like to play with it so it's a good clue certainly certainly it's interesting actually looking at fluidium and then looking at the um, the, the films of um, Spore because certainly uh, it, it seems to be that you're approaching exactly the same issues although Will Wright puts skins on his little moving uh, creatures. Uh, the, the movement techniques look very, very similar. Um, it's interesting the kind of development in isolation, but also in, in some kind of community uh, collaboration. Can we talk in terms of moving Fluidium to Darwin at home, how the, the community involvement is strengthened in that project? Um, actually, the, the, to my, um, I mean, there's a there's a community of people interested in uh, in what's happening and interested in what uh, uh, you know in in the background of it and and in how it proceeds. But that's a really small community, um, and, uh, and they uh, they've been around for a long time and they they stick around. I don't see ever uh, you know huge increases in. Uh, in, in attention for it, and uh, I haven't been able to um, get uh, other developers involved uh, as of yet. Um, you know, for for any number of reasons, it takes a lot of time to set something like that up as well. Certainly, certainly. I think my own experience as developing open source has been that the contributions from others comes at the strangest possible times. It's not something yeah. that can be can be in any way factored into one's development when creating open source. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, a lot of the people who um, sort of hook up with uh, with me uh, in in Fluidium are interested in, like, the, we have uh, you know artists and uh, and all sorts of people like that on the mailing list. And uh, uh, people come in from a different angle, and it just doesn't seem to be a you know the the population of uh, of uh, you know the diehard coders is just pretty small. Certainly, certainly. In terms of um, the future directions of, of Darwin at home, mm -hmm. what, what do you see in addition? Do you see additions of skins, maybe world environments, uh, com competing um, uh, fluidium creatures? What do you see in that regard? Yeah, well, I've, I've been uh, playing around just in the last week or two with, uh, with skinning, and I was able to do it. So uh, I'm going to look into what's a, uh, an efficient way to... Uh, to make it work, I think texture mapping or something might work. I'm I'm pretty uh, neophyte in the, in the in the 3D uh, arena. That you know the the your uh, 
your uh, low-end game developer will probably beat me out uh, in as far as knowledge uh, of of the 3D stuff. So I have to learn all that still. You know, it's serving a purpose for me. It's not necessarily the focus. Um, uh, so I'm going to uh, look into doing that. Uh, as far as uh, I, w I want to get, uh, I want to get this uh, current version with aesthetic selection worked out and um, and uh, and out there because I think that it has the, for the very first time in, in I don't know how many years, I have the the sense that this might be um, a version that um, that might attract a sort of a, a wider audience. So, um, so I'm hoping to. Uh, that's, I'm just taking it one step at a time. As far as the development goes, uh, I really can't say where it might go. I, I don't think it's interesting to have um, complicated terrains, of course, until you've got uh, brains inside of the creatures. And and it's very true that the fluidium creatures are really nothing but bodies. There is no brain involved. So uh, I guess that would be the uh, the logical next step. But I would have to partner with someone who's uh, big on brains. Certainly. I mean, my, my observations with regards to fluidium is not just brains, but a wide variety of organs, particularly if you create different kinds of landscapes. You could have um, fish fluidium creatures and bird fluidium creatures and uh, obviously reproductive organs for the kind of stuff that you want to be doing in, in um, uh, you know, evolving and, and natural selection, these kind of things. Now, actually, uh, th theoretically, of course, a, an artificial life creature doesn't have to have reproductive organs. But of course. <laughs> but in terms of building and adding um, uh, organs, if, if we think of the brain, I mean, what you have currently is a very simple brain uh, spread out through the, the fluidium creature. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, all these, all these organs are, are kind of meta-concepts that can be added um, afterwards or, or things of this nature. Yeah, what I'm thinking of is, uh, is uh, for example, the way, it's, uh, the way the creatures work right now is there, there's, a, there's a, a sort of a global cycle for them all to operate on, and I would really love to have it operate on the basis of sort of reflexes so that uh, there would be like sensors and, actor, uh, and activators uh, so that it would, uh, you know, operate on the basis of that, because that seems a lot more natural to me, and that would actually be a really interesting big step to take as well. Certainly, certainly. Well, as we're doing here, I think the, the ability to, to jam in an A-Life community is really critical. What future um, directions would you like to see in the A-Life community? Well, I, uh, I sorely miss the Digital Biota conferences because uh, I, uh, I wasn't at the very first one, which was uh, really a, a sort of a groundbreaking event, uh, but I was at the second and the third, and, uh, and since then it sort of uh, dropped off, but that was such an exciting uh, get-together both times. Um, that's what I really miss, and, uh, and uh, I think that's, uh, there's, there must be enough... Uh, you know, interest in having something like this again. I'm, I'm certainly of the same mind. I, I think it really motivates uh, a number of people just to even have telephone conversations and email, uh, but the ability to have another Biota conference would be, would be a, a terrific thing. I think the main issue that Bruce and I have discussed is just the cost and organisation factor uh, in terms of the... You talk about the early Biota conferences as being relatively small. I think there is now a sufficient community where hundreds of people... Uh, really? Would attend. Okay. Very definitely so. I mean, the biota mailing list, um, even after I stripped it down, is about 500. 
um, what I would call hardcore enthusiasts yeah, yeah. all over the world. So I think there is certainly a, a very strong interest. Uh, it, it's merely just the logistics. I think uh, Bruce in particular looks at this in a very pragmatic way. Uh, and if, if there is going to be another biota conference, it's going to be uh, run by a small team rather than him and possibly another person. Yeah, these days I've I've been going to more and more um, sort of academic conferences. Uh, like for example, in 2005, my uh, my program actually won a won a prize for the, the best demonstration at the Belgium Netherlands uh, uh, artificial intelligence conference, which happens every year. And uh, I've uh, submitted a paper so that I may be able to demonstrate uh, Darwin at home this year if they accept me. But uh, this is a, an environment, you know, talking about artificial intelligence. Uh, it's not exactly, it doesn't have the same, uh, you know, point of view as the, as the Biota Conference, and I can't really see that happening in the academic community because it's a bit too sort of cross-discipline. Certainly, certainly. I think that's the nature of uh, contemporary AI life and certainly my own interest uh, with the Biota site in particular. This has been a really uh, great opportunity to talk with you, Gerald. Do you have any final thoughts for the interview? Um, yeah, well, uh, I would like to uh, invite people to take a good look at Darwin at Home uh, in, uh, in a few months' time when it's, um, when it's in a sort of uh, mature, more mature state. And I hope, uh, I hope people find it uh, really easy to, uh, to get acquainted with because uh, it'll be a process of like just arriving and uh, you know, picking favorites and sitting back and watching things evolve. So I'm hoping for the, the couch potato demographic. Terrific. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to talk with you, and uh, we may check in for a similar interview in about six months' time. Alrighty. Thanks a lot, Tom. It was really nice talking to you.